mood is right, the spirit's up, we're here tonight, and that's enough, simply having a wonderful Christmas time, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. All right, hold on one second, I broke it. So, you know names like Cousin Eddie, and you know names like Uncle Rico, right? If you're a little more modern uh, fan, you know names like, you know names like Roger Clinton, you know names like Billy Carter. If you're, if you're more of a fan of a television show, you know names like the Bluths, and you know, you know names of family members. But you don't just know the names of the family members. You always seem to remember the names of the family who were the most embarrassing, right? You don't always remember the family members who were the normal ones, the ones who just kind of blend in. The ones who stick out are the family members who kind of made a scene, are the family members who kind of got awkward. And every family has them, don't they? Every family has that embarrassing, awkward part of the family that they don't like to talk about, that everybody rolls their eyes when they say, are they coming? And you kind of have that thing, right? Except for my family. I just want to say that because they'll be watching this later. Like, our family doesn't have it. But your your family has one. Yours does. And um, I want to say this because you might be thinking, you know, my family really doesn't have that embarrassing family member that everybody rolls their eyes about. It's probably you, if that's the case. Um, so just maybe you should know that. But every family has that, that embarrassing part of the family, right? That embarrassing part of their past, an embarrassing part of their story, whatever it is. And it comes back every year about this time because you could probably go the whole year without having seen parts of your family, right? Like, like you get by and you've not seen them, not seen them. And then all of a sudden it's like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, all of a sudden they're around everywhere you go. There's family gatherings to be at, right? And so your family gets like a little bit more noticeable this time of year. You've hidden them on Facebook. You don't have to deal with them much, but when the family gathering comes and grandma expects you or you do in honor of your mom or or whatever it is and you get together with the family, you start to think, this has to be the weirdest family on earth right? Like, I think everyone thinks that about their family, or maybe it's just me, but everyone thinks about their family. This has to be the weirdest. Like, not your immediate family, but the extended, extended, the cousins of the aunt of the grandma kind of thing, and you get out there, and you're going, these people are kind of strange, right? Well, I I have news for you, and this is good news. The good news is your family isn't the weirdest family ever, the weirdest family ever you can find in Scripture. And if you open it to the book of Matthew chapter 1, you will find the weirdest family ever. And it starts like this. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez by Tamar, and Perez the father of, Her- of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nelson, and Nelson the father of Salmon. And you could like keep going and going and going and going and going. And the, but the thing about it is you've probably read that before because you know where the book of Matthew starts. And you're like, we need to read the Christmas story as a family. And you start by reading that and you're going through Aminadab and Nelson. And then you just like kind of start fading. 
Well, the thing about it is, is if you just skip over that chapter, you can get into the, the story of the birth of Jesus, the story of Christmas. But if you just skip over that chapter, what happens is you miss one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. If you just happen to skip over the family of Jesus, you miss what might make Jesus the most relatable person you have heard of. Because Jesus' family history and Jesus' family story would just make you go, wow. Because the story of the family of Jesus is one that probably got glossed over most of the time while you were in Sunday school. It's not something that the Charlie Brown Christmas special talks about a lot. But the story of Jesus' family is one that makes your awkward family Christmas look normal. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig into this first part of the first chapter of Matthew together, and we're going to talk about some of the names that we're going to read. And, and we'll, we'll read it through it together every week, and we'll talk about it, but I, I want to let you know that the point of this is to show you that there is something working even amongst the most strange of circumstances. So let's read that first couple together. I'll put it back on the screen and follow along with me. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So we get three generations into the story, and things get a little weird already. The first thing you might notice is that it's the first place where two sons are listed. Judah and his brothers get listed in the generation before. That's because Judah has some brothers who who become famous, we'll talk about here in a minute. But the the most interesting thing is that this is the first of the generations in which the mother gets named. The first of the generations in which one of the females, the moms of the story, gets named. And the family story that comes out of the, sta- of the family of Judah and Tamar, I- I'm telling you, is a family story like you've never heard before. I didn't give this warning in first service because it's just you guys, but in second service, we're actually going to give a warning to families that, hey, this sermon, like, that might ask some questions about, like, where babies came from and, you know, like, that kind of thing, because this story, it gets, it gets crazy, but I want you to know this. I want you to know above everything else that you hear today, I want you to know that every family has a story, that every family has a story that starts with, well, you have to go back to. That every family has a story that starts with, well, because sometimes things don't work, things don't work out the way you plan. Every story, every family has one of those stories. Whether you want to be the perfect family or not, what, no matter what it is, your family probably carries one of those stories with it. And the story of, of the family of Jesus has a lot of those stories. And one of the first that's really kind of just out there is the story of Judah. Judah has several brothers, like I mentioned. He has 11 brothers. One of those brothers is a man named Joseph, who you've probably heard talk about. There are two main Josephs in the Bible. There's the main Joseph, who's the father of of Jesus. We're not talking about that Joseph. We're talking about the Joseph in the Old Testament. This Joseph was the guy who, maybe you've seen the Dolly Parton Technicolor Dreamcoat thing. Like, that's that's that Joseph, okay? So that Joseph isn't a part of this story. That Joseph has an older brother named Judah, and Judah does the one thing that God asks his people not to do, and it's, it's that when he grows up, he marries someone from a foreign country. 
In the Old Testament, one of God's main rules was stay with people who believe like you believe. And Judah runs off and he marries, he marries a, a woman named Ur. And Judah and or no, he marries a woman, and that's not her name. I need to write down her real name because all of a sudden I forget. But Judah marries a woman, and they have three sons. Judah and this woman have three sons. Their names are Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Okay? And so Ur is married to, Ur is, Ur is the oldest, gets married to a woman named Tamar. And Ur and Tamar, as a family, have one job as a family in the Old Testament. What's the one job of a family? It's to have children and to grow the family, right? But as we'll find out, Ur isn't very, Ur has some troubles. And it says, Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. And I, I'm going to do something really weird right now, because um, we're in the middle of this. But I'm going to pray really quickly, because this has just been one of those mornings that's like a little bit crazy. And I feel distracted and like uncomfortable, so I'm just going to pray, and that might make you uncomfortable, and that's okay too. God, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of the weirdness, in the midst of the strange, you, you come and you provide rest for us. Remind us of that truth today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. So Judah, Judah is married and has a son named Ur. His son Ur marries a woman named Tamar. But Ur is evil in the sight of the Lord, and Ur is killed. And here, here's the thing about when you read some of the Old Testament stories, and when you read some of the Old Testament stories that we're going to read over the next couple of weeks, you start to think, like, maybe this God character isn't all we've cracked him up to be. Like, he's, this, this, is, this is wild. But what's happening is a very different thing in the Old Testament than what happens in the world that we live in today. In the world that the Old Testament is written in, in the books like Genesis and the books that we're looking at through these stories, is God is on a mission. And God's on a very specific mission to introduce the world to Jesus. And everything that he does is a part of making sure that he's, introduced, that he's going to lead the world to Jesus, leading up to the Christmas story, the one that we know. And so there are things that happen and things that God does in the Old Testament that kind of sound strange to us because of the way we operate. But in, in light of the entire context of what God is doing, it starts to make a little more sense. And so what happens is Ur is doing evil in the sight of the Lord and God strikes him down. And I, I want to give this as a warning that sometimes what God did is not telling us what God is doing doing or what God does. And so I want you to know that, that, that the God of the Old Testament, the very God who struck down Ur, the very God who, who is vengeful and who does that, he has those characteristics to him. But I, I, I think we're missing the point if we spend too much time worrying about how God would do that to us. This is a different time and in, in place when God was trying to accomplish his will. But because Ur is, is dead now, it's this, it's this weird place for Tamar. Tamar has no children, and, she, and as a person in, in, this, in this context, in this culture, Tamar now has no income, she has no, no protection, she has no family. But the culture at the time had a law that they called the Leverite Law, and the purpose of the Leverite Law was to protect widows, and it was to say, we don't want you to become worthless, we don't want you to become, uh, we don't want you to become poor and destitute. So if, you're, if you die before your husband produces a son with you, 
It is the responsibility of your husband's brother to then produce a son with you. And that, that son belongs to your, your deceased husband, but your husband's brother has the responsibility to do that. And I know that, like, that sounds really strange. Like, this is, this is where it gets a little bit awkward because we're, like, talking about this, you know. But it's the responsibility of, of the second brother, Onan, to, to help Tamar to have a livelihood and to have a child, to have that place in the world. Well, Onan, for a couple of different reasons, isn't really all that psyched about giving Tamar a son. And there's two reasons that there may be. Um, the first is that he's enjoying the process, like, like he just wants to keep it going. So he's doing what he can to make sure that she doesn't have a son. Um, we're not going to get too graphic, but he's doing what he can to make sure that she doesn't have a son. The second reason that Onan probably doesn't want Tamar to have a son is because then Tamar's son becomes the inher- sole inheritance of the birthright of the family. And so when Onan, trying to keep her from getting pregnant, Onan is doing his best to make sure that he gets as much of the birthright as possible. But as you can imagine, God doesn't take kindly to Onan breaking the law. And so what happens to Onan is similar to the fate that happens to his brother Ur. And it says, and what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. So there's a third brother named Shayla or, or Sheila. We'll, we'll call him Shayla. There's a third brother named Shayla. And, and, and what happens is we think he's probably too young to be married yet. And so, and so Judah, the, the father of this family, promises. He says, I'll promise you that when Shayla's old enough, you can marry Shayla. But Tamar comes to this place. And the place that Tamar comes to is a place that probably some of you have come to before. And I hope and pray that it's not, but it's a place that some of you might come to in the future also. And the place that Tamar comes to is this moment in time when she is alone. She has no husband. And now she has no children. And so Tamar now has this this brokenness inside of her that many people feel. And it's a brokenness of an inability or an unwillingness or whatever it is to have that child. And she desperately wants to have the child. She desperately wants to have a son. But for reasons that she can't comprehend, she has not yet gotten pregnant. And I want to stop and share because Christmas is a hard time for some of you. Because Christmas isn't always the easiest time to be around family. Because maybe for you, pregnancy was always the dream, but it never came to fruition. Or maybe for you, pregnancy was something that was hard and difficult and not the pleasant experience that other people seem to think it was, and now raising a child is not as easy as you think. I I want you to know that that brokenness is like the brokenness that Tamar felt in, in this moment. And I want you to know that when God promises Eve in the Old Testament that he's going to curse her pregnancy forever, I firmly believe that he means he's also going to curse the the process of being pregnant and, and the difficulties that come with pregnancy and infertility. It's not an accident that pregnancy isn't always the simplest time in life. And we know this from experience at our house because it was four Christmases ago when the doctor came into the room and said, we're sorry, we can't find the heartbeat. This is a miscarriage. 
And we know the, the pain that comes from, from this desperation and this dream. And it seems like God is saying, no, it's over for you. And it seems like for Tamar, God is saying, no, it's over for you. But I, I want to tell you today, regardless of what your family story is, I want to tell you that your story is not yet over. Your story is not over. That in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your sadness, in the midst of your pain, God is still fixing your story. And this is the point that Tamar comes to. And Tamar comes to a point when she's broken and she's battered. And Tamar comes to a point when she is just completely unsure of what's next in her life. But I also want to make this next point clear, and this is really important as we, as we move forward, that a lot of times that the, what the Bible says it isn't always prescriptive. Sometimes it's descriptive. Prescriptive means this is what you do. This is how you handle this. This is how you fix this. Other times, there are things in the Bible that are prescriptive, but there are stories, especially like what we're about to dig into here, there are stories that are more prescriptive and they tell you what to do, and there are stories like this that are descriptive, and they're not telling you what to do, but they're telling you how God rose out of the circumstance. Because I'm going to remind you again that every family has a story, but the more important part of that is that God fixes family stories. God fixes family stories. And, and I want to remind you that this is not necessarily prescriptive. This is not how I would recommend you going about this, but this is how Tamar took matters into her own hands. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and she sat at the entrance to Enim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she began to see that Shiloh was grown up and would not be given to him, and she would not be given to him in marriage. And so Tamar is in this broken and desperate place. A few months, maybe a few years have passed, and Shiloh is now old enough to be her, her husband, but, but Judah has either forgotten the promise or, or reneged on the promise or whatever it is. He's broken the promise to her. And now Tamar sees Shiloh's married off to someone else, and Tamar is getting desperate. And again, I, I want to warn you that this gets a little crazy, but this is what Tamar, this is how broken Tamar is. And so when Judah saw her dressed as a prostitute, he thought she, Tamar, was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that it was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give to me that you may come in to me? And he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. And he said, what pledge shall I give to you? And she replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. And so he gave them to her and he went into her and they conceived and she conceived by him. And so there's this business exchange that happens. Tamar has, has a veil on, her face is covered. So Judah has no idea who he's making this deal with. And he makes this deal with her, and he says, here's the collateral that I'll give you. He gives her his signet ring, which is like, for lack of a better term, he gives her a signature, a signed document that says, I owe you this promise that I've made to you, this payment that I'm going to make to you. And Judah and, and Tamar consummate their contract, and Judah goes on, and Tamar returns home. 
And, and it's this moment where months now go by and word gets back to Tamar that there is a woman who lives in your home. Tamar is, pre- Judah, Tamar is pregnant. And this is, this is so crazy to me. Judah knows the law. And he knows that a woman who is pregnant by adultery, which, which Tamar is because she's unmarried, that a, a woman who is pregnant by adultery must be stoned. And the craziest part is, if they find the man who's, who committed adultery with her, he must also be stoned. So they're going to carry, they're, they're taking Tamar out of the house, and as they're taking her out of the house because they know she's committed adultery, they say, that she says in this moment, she kind of does this mic drop thing where she drops the signet ring out of her hand. And it's this moment, and I want you to read it with me in verse 24, if we can get there. And as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet ring and the cord and the staff. And then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. And so in the midst of this sin, in the midst of this adultery and this deception, in the midst of one of the wildest stories that happens in all of Scripture, Judah sees that Tamar was just trying to be faithful to God's promise. Judah sees that that Tamar comes from a story. And in the midst of the mess and in the midst of the crazy, awkward family Christmas that was happening when their father was their grandfather and all of this kind of stuff, Tamar becomes pregnant and, and, and Judah sees that God's hand was in this. And as the babies are being born, it says, as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. This story is a story of of two sons. This story is so much more than just an awkward soap opera. This story is my story. This story is your story. Not in the sense that that kind of thing, that's what happened, or, or not in the sense that that's the, how our family tree was drawn up, but this is our story because you'll notice something very, very clearly that when you read through the genealogy of Jesus, that it didn't say redacted. That it didn't say this is the part we don't talk about. That when it got to Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, there wasn't an asterisk that said we don't talk about this. When you got to that part of the story, It read just like every other line in the genealogy. 
And it read that way because God can fix your story. Because your story doesn't have to end with, and then we were all a mess and nothing ever got better. Because your story doesn't have to end with, things never really worked out for us. Because if you so choose, because if you ask, because if you believe, your story ends much differently. And in that moment when Judah realized that what he had done and what had gone on, and in that moment when everything else seemed to be falling apart, Judah realized that God had been there the whole time in the midst of this story. And in the midst of all of this, Judah saw that he could still be used by God. And the fancy word that a lot of, a lot of churches and a lot of when we use a lot is the word redemption. And the redemption of this story is the moment Judah turned around and said, God, I've been unfaithful, but today I will choose to be faithful. And maybe that's your story. Is up until this moment, if anybody were to ask, you'd be embarrassed to tell it. If anybody were to talk about it, you'd be ashamed of what it was. But the fact of the matter is, is that today is the day that you can come to Jesus and you can say, I choose today to let you fix my story. I choose today to allow you to change the course of my family tree. And God can do that very thing. He can fix your family story. Because he does it through Abraham, who's the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. Judah, the father of Perez. And you go, and you go, and you go, and you go. And you get to the name of Jesus. Jesus is born to fix our story. He's born so that in 33 years he can walk up on a hill and carry a cross and die there for our story. And so your story doesn't end with this was terrible and awkward and uncomfortable. Your story ends with and then because I gave my life to Jesus, because I was willing to give up everything to follow him, Jesus fixed my story.
we're going to continue our service with offering, and it's just another opportunity for for us as as believers that that God works through all of our stories that.